Hi, Soul Fam. Welcome to yet another new episode of Season 3 of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Shaman, and the author of the best-selling book, Animal Power, Allison Charles. And today we are joined by relationship coach and somatics and trauma guide, Stephanos Sifendos. Now, Steph has been immersed in deep men's empowerment work and the exploration of intimate and sacred relationships for many years now. He merges the best of Eastern and Western methodologies and philosophies to promote balance, sacredness, and power in life and love. Steph utilizes integrative techniques and methods such as neural empowerment, shamanic praxis, holotropic breathwork, trauma release and integration, Western psychology, Eastern mysticism, and so much more. And as you'll hear in today's episode, Steph shares about traversing the depths of his own pain, experiencing suicidal thoughts and fears, overcoming destructive patterns and multiple ego deaths. His aim is to be a voice for the voiceless, to assist individuals in actualizing the fullness of their potentiality, to relate consciously to each other with authentic love, and be a conscious steward of earth and continue to evolve and expand the entirety of his being. In this episode, we also dive deep into the many ways Steph distracted himself and experienced extreme hedonism, escapism, shame, and concealment to avoid his traumas. Some of the ways he distracted himself were through dysfunctional behaviors, travel, adrenaline rushes, suicide ideation, pornography, and over-reliance on food, excessively fueled adrenaline-based events. And since all of that, Steph has completely devoted himself and his life to facing himself and healing and transmuting those traumas, which has led him to now being a relationship guide and coach. One of his areas of expertise is sacred sex and intimacy. So we definitely cover that. And I ask him what a few of the main pillars are around sacred sex that he has found that come up the most and that he wants to address and talk about the most. He also very vulnerably shares about some of the latest teachings and revelations that have revealed through his own sacred union with his beautiful wife and the birth of his darling baby girl, Athena. And we add in one of my favorite components of Ceremony Circle Podcast. Today, we cover listener questions. Things like, how can we reconnect sexually when we're both stressed? Or how do I create polarity with my male partner if he is passive? Or this one's a good one. How can you evaluate trying again with someone from your past? And many more. So thank you again to all the listeners who submitted your questions over on my Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And don't forget to stick around to the very end of the episode because Steph guides a powerful journey in our closing ceremony practice called Meeting Your Younger Self's Needs. So let's get into it, shall we? Join me around the sacred grand fire for From Escapism to All In, Sacred Relationships and Intimacy with Stephanos Sifendos. Okay, we are rolling everywhere. I'm going to do a slate for the camera. Three, three, two, one. Hi, Steph. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you. I mean, we've known each other now for quite some time. We're kind of Austin neighbors, and here we finally sit on Ceremony Circle. I love it. I'm excited. Okay. You know, when I was tuning in, as to where we should 
flow our conversation for today. I know there's a lot of areas we could cover because you teach a lot of different things, but it just revealed so clearly for my life and where I'm at personally and where my soul is guiding me to go in terms of types of conversations, healing work. And I've also noticed very similarly for a vast majority of my Ceremony Circle audience, it's around sacred sex, sacred intimacy, sacred sensuality, sacred unions, just, you know, these conversations that I think are so needed and have been lacking. And so I am so excited for all this ground we're going to cover, especially because you share publicly and also uh, within our conversations as being friends, you come from a background where at one point on your life path, you were definitely not operating from a place of sacred sex, sacred union, quite the antithesis of that, correct? Very much so. So I would love to start a little bit there and whatever bubbles up, percolates up in terms of a couple of those orbs that you can share with in terms of how you used to operate. I saw the term somewhere where I was doing research, research sex addict. And I don't know, you know, that's a strong term. Did you at one point classify yourself in in there? It is a strong term. And I I have, I have issues with the term love addict, sex addict. Yeah. I think a, a better term that allows us to be drawn into the experience of someone being in that space is either sex compulsion or love compulsion. Yeah. So we have a compulsion and, and, and a, a gravitas towards sex, intimacy, love, connection, but in more extreme ways. And so, I mean, would I say I was a sex addict? Potentially. I, I mean, I relied on it. I needed it. I thought about it a lot. I did it a lot. I pursued it a lot at at the expense and cost of my relationships, my own integrity, the suppression, repression of uh, trauma that I experienced when I was young. I used it as a coping strategy. So I relied on it to basically survive and function. So right there, I would love to go into that that crevice that you just landed on. Because um, for anyone new to Ceremony Circle, I have shared what I'm about to say in, in other interviews I've done on my show and other people's shows. But what led to my divine intervention and spiritual awakening was being in a nearly 20-year relationship with someone who was struggling with sex addiction, other addictions. I was living in denial. I was struggling with codependency. There was a web of dysfunction intermingling between myself and my ex for a long time. And so these categories that you and I, Steph, are going to talk about, they're things that I have lived in a lot of capacities and have experience in. And I want to shed more light on this stuff. So when you say that there was trauma that you experienced earlier in life and then you you found yourself leaning into sex compulsion as a coping mechanism can you bridge that gap a little bit why why do you think that you went in that direction for coping pain and pleasure um is is the overarching response but essentially for me 
I didn't want to face the trauma that I had experienced. I didn't want to face it in order to heal it because it was too intense. And most trauma or perceived trauma for all of us, no matter what it is, if, if it's intense and we've hidden it away from our conscious psychology, we don't want to address it. It's, it's, we, we, we are pleasure-seeking beings. We don't want to be in the pain, but the way out of that is through. And so I didn't, sex wasn't the only, being in relationship or being in intimacy or the illusion of, of closeness wasn't the only coping strategy I used. I used food, I used adrenaline, I used status, I used accomplishment as a way to redefine myself, to seek validation, to seek essentially to make myself worthy. I, I was carrying so much pain and heaviness that Every time I was still enough or I'd pause for long enough, I'd feel that coming up. So I needed intense amounts of pleasure to replace that feeling that I was having, replace that pain, sex, food, adrenaline, these intense extreme experiences will do that, right? You know, performance in sports and so forth. That's the type of adrenaline I would seek or adventure sports or adventure and travel and so forth i would just distract myself consistently sex was very convenient i mean in my household the, the interesting thing is for me i started relatively speaking quite late i mm. i had sex when i was maybe 17 and a half or something that was the first time i had sex and it was with a prostitute my friend took me wow okay yeah. that i did mm. not know mm. wow yeah Whoa. Okay. I just want to be present to that because that talk about, um, I don't even know the word for it, an intriguing starting point into your mm. sexual path, your very first encounter yeah. in relating with a woman sexually was with a prostitute. There is yeah. a lot to potentially unpack there. What's one nugget of wisdom in hindsight, in your devotion to facing yourself and doing, walking the path the way you do, when you look back to that being your first sexual experience, what is like a wisdom takeaway, like a dot that you connected, like, oh, because that happened, such and such played out. I mean, because that is not a normal starting point. No, it's, well. Or is it? Uh, that's the interesting thing. Well, let's right? talk about it. That's yeah. the interesting thing. There is a world of shadow sexuality that exists well beyond uh, conventional understanding, right? So especially depending on, on which cultures, so right. many cultures, young boys are introduced to women, even at a younger age by fathers or other mentors, uncles and, and friends of fathers and so forth, other men, um, they're introduced to prostitutes or they're introduced to women in that way. It's, it's far more, I'm not saying it's common, it's far more common than we think. Far more common than we think. My friend took me because he had explored that. And he said, man, you've got to do this. It's amazing. I hadn't even masturbated by that point. Wow. So I masturbated after I had sex. It's, so it was very, so I had a very quote unquote slow start. Kids were having sex when I was in grade seven in Australia. That's when I was 12, 11 and 12 years old. I was, I was shocked. I was very, I was very timid. I was very shy as a kid because of my upbringing and my, the, my family environment. Even puberty was very difficult for me because I didn't really have anyone to speak to about it. It was very foreign. All of it was foreign. I kept to myself. I was overweight. I wasn't in my body much. Mm. So all of those experiences, including visiting a prostitute, 
I mean, the, I want to answer your question because I want to honor the question. So there is much wisdom that came from that. One of the the pieces of of it's not wisdom, but it's insight that I got at the time was, oh, I can be appreciated. I was only seventeen, so I thought I could be appreciated by someone, and I'm not going to be humiliated. I'm not going to be teased. I don't have to work for it, right? I, I just this this woman really adores me, and she's pleasuring me. And this false perception of what intimacy actually is began to be forged in that moment. And so it was very easy just to go and visit a prostitute. All I had to do was just work and pay for it and or do other things. That's, that's an, and that could be another conversation if you want to go down that path, to, to pay for these experiences. And, and, and habitually that became, oh, I'm just objectifying not only women and, and not from a place of wanting to hurt women or disrespecting women, but just from a place of this is about me and I'm finding that the more pleasure I can be in, the less pain I'm in, well, this is great. So the habits that I created from that, I objectified the act of sex itself. Yes. And I started to confuse the peak experience of sex and the peak experience of orgasm, albeit quite short, with deep intimacy and connection. Right. So I thought, in my logical mind, I thought, oh, wow, like the more I can have sex and the more I can have sex with different people because novelty and variety adds so much intensity to that, mm. the deeper connection I'm experiencing. Now, why would I want connection? I wanted connection. I yearned for connection because I didn't have that growing up. I lacked that. I missed that. I missed that from my parents. I had my family in Greece where, where I Greek was my first language. It wasn't English. So I grew up in Greece and I was pulled away from my family. We had to come back to Australia because my father just economically couldn't make it work in Greece. And I missed my family, my cousins, my uncles, my aunties. And so I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I lacked connection. You know, our voids become our values. I, I, so I, I, I really valued intimacy and connection. And I somehow, well, as I've explained, I interpreted sex, variety and novelty in sex with deep intimacy. Hmm. Now, now I'm living life. And I, I feel like there's something sitting in the heart of what you just ended on that I, I'm hoping you can help extract because mm. I have noticed this quite a lot. I'm not saying it's only within men. It's just like from my perspective, mm. my experiences with men, that distortion or confusion of them really wanting to have some sort of a genuine, deeper, mm. more intimate connection, but confusing yep. that with penetration, with the, the act of sex. And it's like, I'm trying to even get to what my question is. I just feel like there's something really big in unraveling this. I don't know if it's like tips or awarenesses, like how, if people listening are noticing they have a propensity or there's a light bulb going off of like, oh, I'm guilty of that. I I was or I am functioning like that. How does one start to unpack or where is a starting point for leaning into or learning what real true intimacy is and connection is as opposed to confusing it with just penetration? Yeah, yeah. So there's, it's an interesting balancing act, right? Because we are visceral primal beings. We Part of our evolution, part of our MO as humans is to procreate. Yes. So we have a biological drive to 
and this is men and women, all of us, to procreate, to have sex. And there's these arguments on all the different sides of the fences around, well, it's natural. It's, it's complete. And it is natural. Yes. And we have evolved a great deal the last few million years or few hundred thousand years as hominoids. You know, the development of language, the evolution of our prefrontal cortex, the complexity of societies, the way that we function in culture, technology, innovation, it has added layers of complexity and difficulty to our lives, so much so that during our formative years, and I'm not saying that it was easier, you know, 100,000 years ago being in a more volatile physical environment, it's just different now. The, the emotional and psychological and social psychological complexity that we face during our formative years, we're exposed to just more difficulty and challenge and intensity and trauma. Mm-hmm. And the way we store that in our body and the way we store that in our minds it causes us to behave in particular ways. And so when we're looking at that that notion of I think I'm in intimacy, I think I'm in closeness because we have to peel it back for a moment. Basic human needs, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be understood, we want to be appreciated, we want to be respected, we want to be close. We want to give just as much as we receive, we want to receive just as much as we give. Yeah, we want our full selves to be able to be embraced. We do. And as, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, the illusion of the peak experience of sex, it gives us that perception that, oh, I'm being close. But where is that coming from? There's nothing wrong with sex, nothing wrong with being with multiple sex partners if that's where you're at in your life. But what's the come from? What's the intention? We have to get real with ourselves. This is what we what we don't do. We we just move. We we are almost driven by our pleasure centers. We're driven by just mindlessly as well. Just driven by wherever we move towards. Oh well, this feels good, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to conveniently forget about the guilt and the shame that I'm harboring, or the guilt of cheating or infidelity, if that's the case. Or I'm going to conveniently forget about the fact that I'm ignoring so many other areas of my life that are important, such as my family, maybe my purpose or my work or the projects that I'm involved in or whatever it may be, right? In pursuit of that temporary peak pleasure. And if we don't stop and pause, and this is what, I just didn't do any of this because I couldn't handle being with restlessness. Now in my life when I'm restless, and I do feel restless, I don't want to say often, but it comes to me. I sit with it. I stay with it. I don't. I don't try and do all these other things to busy myself. I want to be with that restlessness. I want to understand what's happening because over years that compounds, mm-hmm. and it becomes so convenient and habitual to just ignore what's really underneath the surface. Yes. And so that space that we need to create for ourselves that gives us permission to understand our come froms. Yes. Behind our actions. Yes. What are the energetics fueling that? desire or that, that step yeah, yeah the, the historical the social the the value-laden reasons as to why we're doing what we're doing like where's it really coming from are we compensating most of the time we're walking around just compensating meaning that we've experienced something that is undesirable or hurtful it could be physical abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse it could be bullying it could be not having confidence feeling insecure it could be having an experience of being humiliated once when we were three years old and it's staying with us for all of our lives and we do everything we can to avoid that to avoid either repeating that or feeling that again or facing it but again we have to face it in order to close the trauma loop on it but Mm. we don't do that because it's so intense and so we find you know my poison was that other and food is another 
poison of mine as well, mm. another coping strategy, mm. right? Food, in fact, was my earliest coping strategy because when I was younger, when I was a little kid, I didn't know what sex, I didn't understand sex, I didn't understand, I didn't know what that was, but I didn't know what really good food was cooked from a nurturing grandmother and that took me away from a very violent, aberrant home. I knew what watching cartoons was that made me smile and so I, I, I developed a compulsion towards that. And mm. so whenever anything or life got tough, food, TV, movies, action movies, get into the fantasy, escape, we all do this in different ways. Mm. But there are common threads for most of us, right? Right. And it's I, I realize what I'm about to ask that it's like different for everyone. And I know it's kind of a, a, a loaded question, but in terms of um, if someone's feeling brave enough they're like i i need to do that sacred pause i need to mm. do that that check-in and again i know maybe some need to do that check-in with the trusted guide and maybe mm. they shouldn't do the check-in by themselves and there's a lot of layers to this but what would be one example of what that check-in looks like what mm. does that pause look like and what is the inquiry you're posing to yourself to to start that process of seeing what's yeah. behind your actions yeah proactivity in my opinion is always superior to reactivity right and so cultivating a regular practice a daily practice mm. where you literally create space for yourself at the end of the day or the beginning of the day it's a good time uh where things are settling so in the, in the morning when it's dawn or in the evening when it's dusk when when life is in your in your geography is just settling down right it's quietening down so your physical environment is quietening down or in the middle of the night 3 a.m whatever's good for you mm -hmm. um and then you can begin to quiet your body down and the perp just engage in purposeful reflection mm. that could just look like asking some questions around how did i behave today was i happy with how I responded to life? Was I happy with the conversations that I had? Could I have done more? Could I have done less? Mm. Was I angry? What was underneath that anger? You can have a journaling practice alongside that. It can just be thought. It can just be literally creating space to do a body scan and just checking in with your body and not putting a verbal intellect to it by asking questions or answering questions and using language, but more feeling, like really just get into the body and feel. Maybe you feel some uncomfortable feelings. Maybe it's in your leg. Maybe it's in your heart. And you can explore that. What is this? What's underneath this? What, what shape does it hold? What color does it hold? You know, we can get into symbolism and the unconscious self. So there are so many different ways, but being having a proactive uh, space on a daily basis that allows you to reflect on your life and all facets of your life and just allowing yourself to, it doesn't have to be completely structured, but just that space mm -hmm. leaves room. A, it is structured because you're allocating time. And then B, if you just leave room for spontaneity for what nat the, the natural wisdom of your body to emerge in that space, that can be very empowering. Yeah, I love that you brought that in. And a couple of things came in while you were sharing. One, what a 180 you took from going from like filling any possible crevice of a void with like, outward distraction, outward distraction. You had a whole cornucopia, a whole menu of options that you would reach out for mm -hmm. to take yourself out of that sitting. And now here you sit all these years later as a guide and a teacher 
allowing people to learn, you know, the opposite of what you once did and, and, and learning how to sit. And I love the daily aspect of it too, because I think that will help facilitate uh, trust in oneself that like, oh, this is actually doable. It's not as scary as mm. I thought. Or, and you start to um, just, yeah, allow that type of inquiry to become one's life, you know, which allows life to feel just yeah, like more, more like uh, ceremony, mm. and uh, yeah, there's a lot of beauty and and taking it to a daily practice. So, I would love now if you could share. You know, there were a lot of categories that you have said you leaned into to distract. Can you share one of the threads where? it started to lead because that web you were creating um, in, in your storytelling, that picture that was starting to develop is like, oh, wow, if you do all this like outward reaching over so long and never pausing, no self-inquiry, mm-hmm. that can create such a tangled, messy, confusing, clouded web that can just feel overwhelming. So I'm curious for you because you, you unearthed yourself from that web somehow. So what was one of the threads of the web where things started to get really dark or really quote unquote bad, where you started to reach a point where you knew something had to give that you couldn't stay in that clouded web much longer? Yeah. So quite a number of years ago when I was in a relationship which was really the catalyst for the transformation that I and the journey, the new journey that I embarked on. I was in this relationship and I I sincerely cared for this woman, yet I was so confused and so hurt and so scared. And that was all masked by false bravado and, and false pretense and pretending to I would say the things that people wanted to hear, including her. Not because I was I, I liked a violent confrontation because I was accustomed to it, but I didn't like confrontation at the same time because I also detested it because I grew up with it. So I was very my if if I had an attachment, I do have an attachment style. We all do. My attachment style was disorganized because I experienced pockets of love and care, and then extreme volatility and ups and downs. So I was very confused as an adult as well. I was just mimicking that, mm. and I was again a number of years ago. I was very deep into. I was on sex dating apps and I was visiting prostitutes all whilst being with a partner. And I, I, I started, she found out, the, the short story of it is she found out. But probably about two months leading up to that, I was really feeling a restlessness in my body from how I was behaving and what I was doing. And a friend of mine who had some awareness of what I was doing a fraction of it he didn't even know the whole story he said man you're going to get caught and like is this really what you want to do why are you even in relationship you know Mm. he was trying to call me forward Mm -hmm. and I said Tim ah it's going to be okay I'll stop soon it's not you know like Mm -hmm. I just sort of shrugged it off but I remember in that moment thinking to myself I do want to get caught and I am going to get caught because I was I was obsessed I was just you know I'd, I'd be in the toilet I'd be looking and scrolling you know I'd I'd be in the car at the stoplight I'd be looking and scrolling god it feels so exhausting so fucking heavy oh yeah so heavy so heavy and and I'm not and I wasn't a a quote-unquote bad person 
I was living from unresolved trauma, like most of us are. Mm -hmm. Eventually, though, that unresolved trauma uh, can lead to pathology. Uh, and I, I truly believe if I had continued that path, I, I don't, I don't think I'd be. Well, I know I wouldn't be where I am today, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the approach to life and the and the practices that I have today either or the the equilibration in my being that I have I, I needed to I, I personally needed to hit rock bottom I needed to have all of that shame and guilt that I had repressed and suppressed resurfaced to actually do something with it and and I again I very clearly remember making a commitment not only to my partner at the time but to myself and we stayed together for a number of months trying to work through it which was that in and of itself was a gift and very, very interesting and also deeply, deeply challenging. Obviously, we broke up. Um, I think it was about seven or eight months later. But, I mean, not for lack of trying. Like we went we went deep. But I, I remember saying, I'm done with this life. I am, I am done with this life. I, 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 I almost I, – I didn't almost – I did. I sat down and I said to myself, these are the three options that are going to happen. I'm either going to die, commit suicide because it's too intense, I'm going to end up in a mental asylum because by that point I had my brain and my mind started to unravel. A lot of suppressed memories started coming mm. back as well. And because I'd, I'd unlocked, this event had unlocked so much within me viscerally or I'm going to get through this and I'm either going to teach people. I'm going, I had visions of that then. Mm. I'm, I'm just going to be a very different person. And I surrendered to all three outcomes. Like deeply, deep, like honest, honest surrender to all three outcomes. Wow. And it was in, is in, it was in that moment, in those moments that, I, I mean, I never wanted to commit suicide. I never, but, but I just, I gave it to God. I just, I just, I was done with trying to control everything because that was part of my practice as well to control everything because I had so much, I, I lacked so much control growing up. I was so scared growing up. I was in fear, hiding under my bed. I was peeing my pants until I was, I don't know, seven, eight years mm. old just because of my family environment. Mm -hmm. So I, I lacked so much control, bullied as a kid as well, overweight, couldn't control my eating. So I, 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 I surrendered control for the first time in my life in ways that I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. You know, from a, you know, consciously and deliberately from a, from a teenager onwards. Wow. Well, I know uh, for me, my surrender point was the pivot that mm. took me in a whole different life path experience. Uh, you know, the veils lifting, continuous awakenings, and finally getting connected to my soul and unification with my soul and finally able to hear it trying to inform me and after a number of years of devoting to healing myself through the doorway of surrender, mm. allowing my soul's calling to, to guide me and, and to show me the way. And so what happened next for you? Because it's interesting as I'm talking to you, it, it is tracking me back to my own personal history mm. with my ex. And it's like, it's like, I'm listening to you and hearing the steps you took and I'm hearing what it was like from your perspective, from the male perspective. And then I'm also like tracking to witnessing him and our dance. And when I found out that there was so much betrayal and that's what lifted the veil and, you know, I needed to 
separate myself. Um, and I wish him well, and I don't know where he is and how he is, but it's just an interesting experience for me in having this conversation with you because I don't know that he ever sought healing. I don't know that he ever entered onto the path of facing mm -hmm. himself. And so how did you withstand those ego deaths and withstand all that was coming up? How did you survive walking through those initial fires? What got you through that strongest combustion point of all of this i made very so I'm, I'm very stubborn and i have an extreme personality and it works in all directions mm. and so uh, it, it served me when i was uh, competing or when i compete in various sports or physical arduous, arduous physical activities uh, but it also serves me to just keep going and keep going and keep going mm. it doesn't always serve me well but it, it serves me and so I made a very clear commitment that I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And I wanted to unpack and understand and connect to and heal all the reasons as to why I've been behaving this way for so much of my life. Um, and I made very clear commitments and I set very clear boundaries with myself. And I leaned on people. I worked with shamans and coaches and spiritual guides and psychologists and counselors and therapists. And I spent a lot of money and a lot of time and all my resources. I gave up my businesses. I stopped working so I could just focus on myself. I spent many, many moments um, contemplating suicide, contemplating ending this life because it was so painful, not because of the, the relationship ending, but for everything that was being unearthed. I sat on my lounge room floor and cried and cried and screamed and had visceral, guttural reactions. I did somatic work. I just, I went everywhere. I spent a lot of time in solitude, a lot of time in solitude. I made deep commitments to myself. I negated communication, communion with the feminine in any capacity. No sex, no porn, none. I stopped all of that. Like a, uh, no flirtation, no spending minimal time with women. I was like a, a no feminine diet. I did multiple scenarios of that, expressions of that in my, in my life mm -hmm. where I, would, I was able to rewire, reframe my relationship to women, to the mm. feminine, to my own internal sense of self and how I viewed sexuality and my own shame and all the body shame that I had growing up. And I just spent years essentially just – I had that luxury. I didn't have kids. I didn't have commitments, so to speak. I um, It was tough sometimes. I was in a lot of debt. I was living on credit cards. L luckily, I was living in my – I spent many years looking after my grandparents and then at some point they had to go into a home because it was, they needed uh, just medical 24 hour care. Mm -hmm. And so I was just living in my grandparents' home, which was the home I basically grew up in as well um, as a kid in pockets of my, my childhood. Um, so I had a, a roof over my head, but it, I, I fasted a lot. Like I, yeah, I, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, I went I deep. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, so fascinating. It's similar to when after my surrender, um, you know, just how, how the path opened up for me. I also went back to my grandma's, my grandparents' mm. house um, after my initial divine intervention and just had so many additional mm. awakenings there. And um, uh, yeah, wow. Okay, and so I know this is going to be a leap, but I, I want to be able to cover with you now, you know, through staying in devotion to all the examples that you just shared um, and facing yourself and healing, transmuting, alchemizing, all the things, 
you, you have now arrived to a place where for quite a long time now, you've been a facilitator, guide, teacher in different capacities, but I would love to dive into specifically a lot of what you share on social media and your Instagram videos is around the topics and themes of like sacred sex, sacred intimacy. I would love for you, um, I don't know a good starting point, but when it comes to sacred relating, it's like, even for me, Luke and I are learning together for the first time in our lives. He's 51, I'm 43. And at these ages, we're learning now together for the first time, Mm -hmm. sacred sex. We didn't have that before. You know, we both come from sexually, you know, dysfunctional and traumatizing backgrounds in, in various in varying ways. Um, and now that we're together in our sacred union, it's like, we feel like, you know, little kids in some aspect of like, how do we do this? What does it mean? What does it look like? What is sacred sex? What's an example of, okay, I'm used to having sex in this karmic, more fiery, passionate way. But now Luke and I are learning and opening up. And that's why I got that yoni massage and so many different things I'm leaning into right now is like this dharmic sexual path of relating of like learning how to move the energy and learning how to have sex from a place of relaxation instead of like a fiery endpoint goal. So what are a couple of things coming up for you in terms of some teachings or gateway openers you can lead people into of like, what does sacred sex even look like? What's an example? Yeah. So I think a great starting point is safety. Mm, Yes, I would concur. So we need to feel safe within our own selves and we need to feel safe in our physical environment, safe in our bodies, safe in our minds, safe in our hearts, safe in all the versions of ourselves that have come before us. So I'll touch on that in a moment. And safe in our, in our partnership, right? Safe in our practices as well. But Which prom- is why Luke and I are only able to do this now because we weren't in those safe spaces before. That's why we start with safety. Because <laughs> we, we, we do everything we can to avoid feeling unsafe. So the paradox of that is that we actually never feel safe. We're just running from not feeling safe. But we're, not, we're never actually feeling safe. So we're in this limbo. So as long as we're not feeling unsafe, we're good. But that doesn't mean we're feeling safe. Mm. That's the confusion. Does that make sense? A little bit. Let me go a little deeper into that. So let's talk about nervous system safety, right? So if we don't feel safe in our physiology, we can't address trauma, psychological, emotional, social trauma, whatever it may be. We just can't address it. We have to feel safe in our nervous systems. Yes. And so the, the, the home that we're in right now is conducive to contentment and peace. It's conducive to relaxation. So at some level at least, you can walk into this home and breathe and exhale and have a lengthened exhale and be more of a parasympathetic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. And as you continue to quote unquote build out your home, there'll be incense, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be sounds, there'll be scents, there'll be the, the, the senses of, of how you walk in will facilitate a feeling of safety. Mm-hmm. Now, when we deal with our psychological trauma that's been repressed and suppressed, not everyone has trauma. The vast majority of us do some level of trauma and it resides on a spectrum, of course. But when we start to deal with that, we're able to actually unlock feeling safe in our bodies. So let me, let me, let me say it this way. I'll give you an example. So let's just say starting point A is unsafe. It, it represents feeling unsafe. And B, over there in the distance, 
in the very far distance is safe. Right? We don't want to feel unsafe, but we want to feel safe. So we start running towards safety. But we haven't hit safety yet. We're just running away from being unsafe. Mm. And we may be moving towards safety, but think of safety, unless we deliberately tackle it, unless we deliberately actually work with our stuff as opposed to running away with it, point B just keeps extending itself. Mm. So we're actually not really getting closer to point B. We're getting further away from A, but it's an illusion. Okay. Because, we, because it's, it follows us. Yes. It follows us because we're not dealing with it. Yep. Got it. So when we're talking about sexuality, like true, genuine connection, whether it's penetrative sex or um, something else, that's not, that's not too relevant. But intimacy, intimacy sexual, sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, we have to clear the clutter of our past because it's our past that dictates how we show up. Often that little boy or little girl that's trapped within us and the versions of that little boy or girl that was hurt during formative years that plays out in sexual intimacy. Why? Because there's so much risk involved in that. Mm. There's so much risk in being seen, rejection, possible rejection, abandonment, humiliation, pain inflicted upon us again, not being appreciated for who we are, going back to those needs. So we, we, it's so imperative we deal with that wounded little boy or girl within us that is yearning, yearning. They have needs. Now, everyone's needs are different. So going into that and doing inner child work specifically, and it's not the only modality that we would use, but it's one, and it's a primary modality, I believe, that we use to help heal ourselves, that creates spaciousness in our bodies and in our nervous systems because that directly influences and impacts how our nervous system functions, how vigilant we are, how then our amygdala informs our pituitary gland or informs other aspects of our being, our prefrontal cortex, of, of that's a threat. Even when it's not, we're hypervigilant. Right. So we work with that part of our psychology that's informing our physiology. We start to settle down. Now we start to see people differently. We, we gravitate. We move towards people more. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, through your own neuroception, through what's happening in your body, you are assessing constantly unconsciously, and I'm doing the same. Is right, Steph safe? Right, right, Is my environment safe? Yes, yes. What informs that or what informs the perception of that is how hypervigilant are you? How, how deeply have you been exposed to really bad shit that has hurt you that you now are running away from that's left unchecked? And so the more we can deal with, again, with that psychology, it influences our physiology, so we become less vigilant. Now, if we are two individuals that feel safe in our own bodies, I'm going to be more open to you. Right. Now, as a result of that, I'm not going to be closed. Now, if you're in your hypervigilance, you'll sense that I'm closed and you'll pull back. Now we've got two people pulling back. Mm -hmm. Now we're projecting. Mm. Now we're in shame. Now we're in blame. Now we're in Pain guilt. body dances. <laughs> that. Huh. Safety is the healing. Mm -hmm. It's a process, though. Yeah. It's a big process. It, well, like I said, it took me 43 years to get here and Luke 51, and that's with both of us for a long amounts of time yeah. living in devotion to yeah. healing and doing yep. all this work, and it still took us to these ages to arrive to a place of safety within ourselves and with each other. Yeah. Wow.
Hey fam, popping in here super quick to remind you that my best-selling Animal Power book and card deck are both available and out now. Animal Power book is 100 animals to energize your life and awaken your soul. It's a deluxe compendium of power animals. So anytime you dream of an animal or have an animal continuously crossing your path and you're wondering why is this animal showing up so much for me, just pop into my beautiful book that also has a gorgeous full page color illustration of each animal to learn its wisdom teachings and meanings so you can more deeply understand why that animal showed up in your life. An animal power deck is super fun to work with. You can pull a random card to see what animal has a message for you that day or ask the deck a specific question to see what clarity might reveal. Both animal power book and deck are available everywhere books are sold. The book has been the number one new release in shamanism and many other categories. You can also get them from my website. And when you visit there, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N, allisoncharles.com backslash animal power. You'll also receive a free video drumming shamanic journey that I personally guide where you can meet your current power animal. I appreciate your support so much. And now back to today's show. Okay, what's one other thing after safety? This is so helpful. And I just, it's conversations like this and the one I had with Rena Trevi, the sexological body worker. Like, I feel like these are the conversations that need to be had more than any other right now, especially for some reason. So like, what would be one other thing that's like, I don't know if labeling it as a prerequisite, but like if you want to get to a place of mm. sacred relating, what's another mm. thing that typically is in the formula of arriving there? Sure. So what I just described now, it can be a relational practice with another, but really I was referencing it, be responsible for your own safety. Yes. It's a personal practice, right? right? And you need to do what you need to do in your life and you need to be who you need to be in order to honor that part of you and honor that there, there are parts of you, your, your physiology, psychology, spirituality that crave safety and that that's okay. And working with the parts of your personality and, the, and your character and everything that you've developed over the years that may need to transform and transmute and that's personal responsibility. The next practice I would give is more relational because we're relational beings. Yeah. And so one thing I don't like about the self-love movement and it's the shadow side of the self-love movement is that we don't need anyone. If you mm -hmm. can't love yourself, no one's going to love you. There's some elements of truth to that. People won't be able to penetrate your armor and your walls and they may not be able to see the fullness of who you are because you're not given the fullness of who you are because you don't love yourself, so you're coming from a diminished place. But the shadow side of the self-love movement is so autonomous and so individual, hyper-individual, that it removes us from the very truth of our relating. One of the reasons why we're here in the way that we are, that humanity has excelled and we're superior beings and we're intelligent and all that is because of the way that we've related with each other. It's how, one of the key, key reasons how we've survived. I'm sure fire is another. I'm sure psychedelics is another discovery of that. I'm sure eating meat is another. There, you know, there are many, many facets to it, but relationships, community, tribe, the way we've, that's big. So, I would say, and this is tough, is start having very real conversa proactive mm. conversations with your partner. Mm -hmm. Here are my sexual desires. Mm -hmm. Here are my sexual fantasies. Here's how I've been hurt. Here's what I fear the most. 
Here's where I don't want to go. Here are my boundaries. Here's what I'm willing to explore. Here's what I really want from life. Here are my highest values. What are yours? Mm -hmm. Now, there's risk that comes with that. And the risk is that everything you share may be rejected. You're not going to be rejected, but we'll interpret it that way. But everything you share may be rejected or some of what you share may be rejected because that person in their own historical context of being alive, you've shared something that may trigger or activate them. Yeah. We have to have awareness around that. It's, that's okay. But here's what, I, here's what I don't do very well sometimes is when I share something with my wife, when I share something with Christine. Hi, Christine. We, love you. <laughs> we do love, love you. Christine. <laughs> I share something with Christine. And she has a response to it. That's her response. I often, no, I shouldn't say often. I sometimes take it personally and now I become defensive and reactive. Mm. Now, what do I do? I put a wall up. I start building bricks. There's no intimacy now. I can't get through. She can't get through because I've become defensive. So the risk is when we share in that way that we may temporarily lose our partner in in that moment because they may be flustered or, oh, you want to have, sex with multiple people but i don't want that that's right. not what fear comes fear, up their own fears come but we have to work with that so we have to have commitments and agreements mm-hmm. in place and keep reminding ourselves of those agreements but here's the thing all of that does not happen unless we bring our individual maturity to the table mm-hmm. in other words have as each person done their and continues not just done because it's not an it's not an end point is but continues to do their inner work and 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 if both people are willing to do their inner work and they have awareness of their triggers, they have awareness of their pain, they have awareness of their fears, they have awareness of their compulsions and their compensations, and they have awareness of their coping strategies, and they just have awareness of who they are, and right. they're able to act that in relationship in, in kind, meaningful, compassionate, non-judgmental ways. We then grow together. So when someone says something that may go, oh, that, that's not what I want, instead of saying, no, that's not what I want, you can't have that, oh, tell me more. Curiosity. Now, let's unpack curiosity for a moment because curiosity is intimately tied to vulnerable sharing. Because if we can be curious, like really genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. Now, let me go back a bit. The only way to be genuinely curious, making some links here, is to be safe in our nervous system. I was just going to say is to be able to stay calm. Because if you get out of that calmness, then the frenzy begins. Yes. And the simple uh, response to that is parasympathetic nervous system response. You're not in a sympathetic, activated reactive, ready to fight, ready to fight, ready to do whatever response. Mm -hmm. So curiosity comes from that place. So we can obviously get there by breath. We can get there through mental aptitudes. We can get there through somatic awareness. There are different tools that we can use in the moments when we start to feel heightened. We can come back into presence. Mindfulness is another practice as well. Come back into presence and get curious about what our partner is saying. Get curious about what we're feeling as well. So we're having an adverse reaction to the thing that they're sharing with us that is on their heart, that is a fantasy for them, but it's not a fantasy for us. Mm-hmm. Well, how can we work through that? We, 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 we limit ourselves with what's possible. If it can't be this, it has to be this. We're mm-hmm. so black and white and rigid in our society. Right. And also quick to let the train fly down the train tracks. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The dominoes have like already fallen. Yeah. We're done. We've you... broken up. We're fucked. We yeah, can't do yeah. this. Not There's no way we can get th- through this. Yeah, exactly. I constantly, this is proactive, I constantly remind, and Christine does the same as well, but I just do it more because it's very important to me because I, ha- I have a propensity to check out and leave, right, because of my upbringing and because of what I witnessed in my parents. So I'm very proactive with this practice that I say to Christine often, just randomly, 
nothing we can't get through. Oh. We can get through anything and everything. We mm. just have to sit with it. Mm. We just have to there, – there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that we cannot mm. move through oh, together. God. God bless you for arriving to a place where you can cast that net for your union and, and within your home. And Luke is very good at doing the same, you know, um, in if I'm moving some sort of through some sort of deep, potent uh, healing process or, or my feral, wild, divine feminine is you know, expressing or what, whatever the example might be. Mm. And even when I'm in those processes, I'm able to be in a lot of div- dimensions observing myself mm. and I'm in the full scope of conscious awareness. I'm not like getting crazily derailed in any of those examples, but so I'm doing my work and taking responsibility as well. But he just always is present and and saying like, sweetie, like, um, you know, I, I unconditionally love you. Like there's whatever you just, you know, is there anything else that you need to say? Is there anything else you need to get out? And he just like, instead of wanting to shut things down or close things off or have things wrap up, he leans into the opposite and is like, what else needs to Mm -hmm. be moved? What else needs to be said? And, and reminds me throughout that, fullest expression experience that he's holding me an unconditional love and there's nothing that will derail that along the way and it's just like that has just been so invaluable that's deep healing in and of itself mm-hmm. and i also want to speak to something that i think is very important because i don't want to i want to paint a picture of, of a very real picture of what's happening in real time right yes i have done a substantial amount of work on myself and I have a substantial amount of awareness and I'm, I'm very integrated in many ways. And, we, you know, Christine and I have just, uh, you know, our, our baby girl's uh, f- uh, four and a half months old. Um, it is a very, the most fulfilling, beautiful experience. I just, she's my light of lights, mm. right? And... As beautiful as this experience is, fatherhood is the biggest initiation. It is definitely testing and trying our relationship, Christine and ours. And very recently, you know, we were we were having conversations about because we were so intense with each other, there was so much separation and frustration. We weren't communicating and connecting. And a lot of that, honestly, was just on me. It was because I was so stuck in my pain and I wasn't really embracing what Christine had moved through. And I was being very selfish, not from a place of ego. Well, from a place of ego in the sense of identity. I was losing my identity and I was so latching onto Mm -hmm. it, control again, right? Rears his ugly head every now and then still. And, but also coming from pain of a place of pain. Like freedom is a big thing for me. Commitment is a big thing for me. It has been from a very young age, right? And having all this responsibility which I've so welcome and there's a part of me dying. I'm having so many ego deaths as is Christine, but I wasn't focusing on her. I wasn't being really the hub, the central hub of the family, the mm. father figure, the father of the family. I wasn't doing that. And we were talking about, do we pause? Do we have a break? What does it look like? Uh, how do we relate to each other differently? And I said to her after s- some deep conversations, I, I, Walked up to her, I said, do you have a second? I've got to ask you something. 
this was a turning point for us. And I, and I reached out my hand and I said, what does an olive branch look like for you? And she started crying and she said, this, that, this, this. And from there, we were able to repair. And since that couple of weeks mm. ago, we have been on a trajectory of deeper connection. But it took me again, story of my fucking life, <laughs> having to hit rock bottom mm. in our relationships and, and really getting to a point where, wow, our relationship, as we know it, may, may finish. But I also am aware, but when you're in it, it's different. But I, I do have the cognitive awareness that mm -hmm. the first year of having a baby is the toughest on any relationship. You know, 70 to 80% of uh, couples separate in the first year of that mm. baby. And I'm just committed to not doing that. It's like, you know, when you have a peak experience at a wonderful event, like you go to a Tony Robbins event or something and that they'll say to you, and I, I mean, I say this to all our, at our events as well, don't make any big decisions. We just had a big experience. Don't mm. make any big decisions. Well, we just had a big experience. We shouldn't be making any big decisions. Mm. Uh -huh. And that, yeah, and that's not. And we don't want that. We don't want to separate. We don't want to divorce. We we care for each other. We love each other deeply. We're moving through just tremendous changes, right? But we're we're still in it. Like new experiences will bring up layers and versions of old stuff. Mm -hmm. Just when we think we've worked through it, we have to a certain point. Mm -hmm. But then that new experience is going to bring something else up. Right. And or another another aspect of that thing up. And that's what it's doing for me. And I'm I'm really in like even this morning, I'm listening to this amazing audio book. Um, very simple, but it's really profound for me. It's called Hero. It's the it's the father's role in the family and the importance of the father, mm. right? Not to not to minimize and negate the father. And what I'm noticing, oh I'm noticing so much. <laughs> I'm making so many connections between my childhood that that I actually didn't make before. But one big one is this. I grew up in a household that was very moody mm -hmm. and, and I see myself sometimes playing that out in my own household, even though that's not what I want to be, but it's so familiar to me and the dynamics of, of but, but role reversals, but the dynamics of that are activating this, this aspect of me that has been dormant for some time, but it's coming back. And so I'm just, there, there's so wow. much to play with. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. There is a lot. Wow, tracking a lot. Thank you for being mm. so honest and that share mm. invaluable medicine and that honesty and vulnerability and just willingness to keep it so real. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I mean, not to, you know, get into it too much, but I wondered, you know, especially when I texted you a couple of weeks ago and just checking in and how, what's the book release date looking like and when your response back was what it was and one of the pieces was, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and push my book release back, you know, just needing to focus on, you know, our baby girl and, and things like that. But I, I sat with that text for a little mm -hmm. bit and I was feeling some currents and waves around when I read it and I, and I was wondering how different parts of you were doing and different components of you were, were writing all of that out because just knowing you to the degree that I do at this point and knowing that you needed to push off this book and, you know, mm. and, and books are huge projects and big yeah. births. And I was like, huh, <laughs> there is a lot of big stuff brewing with stuff and yeah. within the household right now. And here's the thing that like, I are talking about sexuality and sexual intimacy it impacts perception of self. It impacts closeness and sexual intimacies when we're burdened uh, or blessed and or blessed with, with heaviness. You know, like I've been feeling uh, guilt because I, I, I've been, I'm a very present father. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great father. I know that. And 
I also see where I haven't been present. I see where I've been distracted. I've see, I see in myself where my mind's been elsewhere. It's like, oh, I need to be doing this and I need to be active in the world. I need to be doing more. I need to be busier. Or I need to be more uh, active in my business. I need to create more and produce more. I have to accomplish more. And this has been a bunk, monkey on my back and then dealing with the guilt and the shame around that. And now just immersing into this very natural place of, I don't even want to be away from my family. Mm. I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm really prioritizing my family more than I have in the last four months. Again, I don't want to paint a picture that I've been this person that don't, hasn't done that. Absolutely I have, but I've been in, I've been torn internally. Yeah. And energetically my family feels that. Mm. This is the subtlety mm. of it. I don't feel nowhere near as torn now. Like I really want to be there. So th- there's been this, there's been this inner battle where when I have been with my family, my mind and my parts of me have been elsewhere and I've been building resentment and regret and I've projected that on Christine. Mm. I've projected that even on my daughter, right? Like if she's not sleeping as well as she could, I'm getting internally frustrated with her. Now I'm not necessarily showing her that, but she can feel that. I know she can, I can feel it. And after a very lengthened conversation, multiple conversations with Christine, where we really settled into our truth and we created space to actually be with each other. We had a, we had a night at a, like a staycation where we were just able to talk and connect and be with each other mm. and just be, I just took a, a very deep ownership of how I've been behaving, which hurt my ego, but <laughs> it does, doesn't matter because it's more important. My, my, my relationship and my family are more important than my ego in that sense, right? And and there was deep healing in that because Christine is someone, and this is so much praise to her, she doesn't hold grudges and resentment. She feels and sees when there's a genuine shift in people and in me. She's very intuitive. And she doesn't hold on to that. She doesn't hold the grudge and say, no, you haven't done enough. You've hurt me. No, I'm not going to, not at all. She's open. She yeah. opens. And if we just briefly just touch on masculine, feminine dynamics for a moment, I just really needed to lead myself and lead. And, and she's able to just lift as well, right? And she's able to – not follow is not the right word and not even being led is the right term, but she's able to just soften into her being because she trusts my leadership. And I was missing that because I wasn't prioritizing that because what I was seeing was what I didn't have. And that was, oh, well, I didn't have the, the – I'm not in, as active in my businesses as I was. And that's what – I was living in the past. Yeah. And so now I just – I truly feel so much more dedicated and committed to the being a father and being a partner, a healthy partner and a healthy father and knowing the importance of my daughter having my presence in her life and how developmentally that's so important for her. Listening to that audio book this morning – there's, you maybe heard this story. I, I can't remember the – I think it's it, it's Rick. It, so it's Rick is the child and, and Richard is the father. Rick and Dick. It goes by Dick. Anyway, Rick was a boy born with cerebral palsy and he wanted to run and he couldn't run. And so his father took him on a five-mile – this is a really touching story – and a five-mile race. And long story short, they just kept doing that because Rick loved it and he felt like he could walk. He was free. What a beautiful story, mm. right? They did like 970 races, Ironman, marathons, like in the water, everything, right? Wow. Really profound story. And, and what um, Richard said was, I didn't do it for me. I did it for my son. 
I prioritize my family. Oh, there we go. And and just that was even just those words this morning just really really hit me that um, yeah. I know why I've lived a very selfish life mm. because um, my childhood was taken from me. I grew up very quick, and I, I I've reconciled a lot of that, but I haven't reconciled it fully and and it takes again new experiences particularly a, a child coming into your world yeah. to really illuminate and highlight much of that oh wow this is so rich and powerful and um the thing that was coming in and in that last part of the share was just it requires such deep trust mm. to to trust the new world's mm. opening within yourself the new world opening within your home the new world of being a father and tending to this living little girl and the the new worlds of how, yeah, your place and functionality in terms of being a public figure or a guide or a, you know, a, a, a leader teacher, how those are all wanting and, and reformulating along with the new worlds being born within you. And it's, it, it's uh, a deep trust. Um, that that seems needs to be accessed, which um, you guys are are in it and with it. So so amazing. Um, so of course, as per usual, I could talk to you for five hours. We didn't even scratch the surface of anything. I know I've got three pages of notes here. I'm like, we didn't cover page two. We didn't cover page. You know. Um, but I with some of my guests, I let my Instagram community send in their questions. Mm. And so sometimes I have listener questions that uh, I want to ask the mm. guest. Um, and I also know with some of these, like it's might be challenging because when I ask the question that Anna Elizabeth Grace has for you, you might have four follow-up questions to her in order to ask sure. this. So I, <laughs> I get that these aren't the, the, the easiest sometimes, but I'd love to toss some out mm. and, see what comes up and to what capacity you might be able to be of service. So they're all so good. Uh, Paige Pilcher asks, uh, how can we reconnect sexually if we're both really stressed out? Well, when a pragmatic thing to do is to eliminate as much stress as possible. That's not always, that's also not always possible depending on your family dynamics and your work situation and, how you're quote-unquote surviving in the world. So I get there's real-world issues, right? Sometimes paying rent can be really difficult, right? So we have to deal with our internal stress. And that could be seeking counsel, joining a, a men's group or women's group, working with a counsellor, couples therapy, also just creating space for each other. There's just some pragmatic things, practical things to do. It's just actually once a week create space for each other where – you connect sexually call it a sex date or like just like we have date night or, or movie nights or whatever it may be have a sex date sex night where you actually plan every friday or every second friday or every monday and thursday whatever it may be this is when we're creating space to be intimate with mm -hmm. each other also what can help is don't attach an outcome to that so it's not purely fertilization driven sex which means that the biological drive of uh, we're having sex to orgasm. We're having sex to complete. Just, just have the expectation or the preference that you're just spending intimate sexual time together. And what that looks like, 
that can that can unravel. Yeah, that can yeah. be an, a plethora of yeah. infinite uh, possibilities. Yeah, I agree with that, and um, I just personally feel that there's nothing wrong with having designated times, windows, dates um, that go toward yeah intimacy or or sex i know some people have an aversion of like it shouldn't be mm. scheduled out or planned mm. out um but depending upon where you're at in life and life circumstances sometimes that is yep. um the most supportive way and i also agree with uh it can it can just whatever that sensuality or intimate time might look like it doesn't have to mean you both orgasm it can mean worshiping each other helping each other relax maybe you give each other um a different type of exactly that that does both it eliminates their stress and brings them back sexually there we go okay (laughs) um anna elizabeth grace has a good one how do i create polarity with a male partner if he's really passive (sighs) it's a good one it's a tough one it's a long one it's a can of worms so we need to look at attraction uh, first and foremost. So is this a uh, perpetual pattern that one is crea- uh, is attracting passive partners, mm. right? That then gives us an opportunity to look at our own stuff, our own wounds, our own patterns, our own ways of being. So let's just start there as a, as a point. That's a good right? starting point. Yeah. Another place to look at, if we're looking at passivity in our partners, it means that we may be holding a very dominant active pole, right? AKA control to some degree, right? So it's really important to look at that within ourselves. Like why do we need control? Where do we need control? Why do we need to be dominant? Why must we have the final say? Why must we drive the ship? It sounds like whether it's Anna or she's asking on behalf of someone else, she wants her partner to be more active. Active, passive. Active can be associated with a masculine pole. Passive can be associated with a feminine pole. So where is she potentially being over-masculine in her energetic. And it's not related to biological sex, to be very clear on that, just as a refresher on that. So we can look at different terms. Like, you know, Michaela Bohm speaks to this extensively, but there's active-passive poles, there's go-and-flow energy, there's do-and-be energy, there's yin and yang. And so if her partner is too much in his being, he's too fluid, she wants him to be more in his doing and more active and less passive and take charge and lead and et cetera, where is she not allowing that to happen? because it's easy to go to someone else and say, well, why don't you change and do this? But you have way less control over that than you do over yourself. So we have to, ourselves need to be the first port of call. Oh, I love that you (laughs) took it there. From experience, I can attest to the accuracy of what you just shared. And that awakening relationship, I spent Mm. the vast majority of the time addressing all of his flaws, all of the things that he needed to work on. And that was my escapism route to not doing the inner work and healing work that I needed to do to allow my spiritual gifts Mm. to open up in the way that they were clamoring to. And I was like, that was my distraction was all of his, his stuff. Well, but let's not also, and I appreciate you sharing that and let's not demonize control either. Right. Because the need to control the excessive need to control is a byproduct of not feeling safe and it's our protectiveness coming up. And so when I say that to Anna about control or to whoever she's referring to, that's not a criticism. That is an opportunity to go into what's underneath the control. Mm-hmm. If I'm controlling excessively, I feel unsafe. 
there's some me- there's some medicine in that. Mm, beautiful. We have a lot more. Thank you all for um, writing in your listener questions for Steph, but we just have time to get to one more. This one feels really deep and potent. Uh, Yogi Seeds asks, any advice on getting back to dating after the death of a long-term partner? Dating apps just aren't feeling aligned. Yeah. Well, firstly, uh, deeply sorry for your loss and your sadness around that. And that would lead me into the guidance I would give is to ensure that you've really grieved, mm. that you've grieved fully that, well, as fully as you can, of course, grief in all its shapes and forms and expressions may be a lifetime journey, but the intensity of grief, make sure that you've really taken the time and the space to grieve that. It sounds potentially like you have and you're ready to date again, but check in with yourself. So maybe also look at, what that loss has symbolized and signified in your life as well. Like go a little deeper into the the richness of that experience now that it sounds like that person is through it a little more, right? Not to reframe or rename or uh, reconceptualize that experience, but to give it more context and substance. And then when we're talking again, some practical things, let's just say, okay, I am ready to date. I feel I have grieved and I'm ready to be out there is be, and I get the dating app thing. It, it can be very tough. Uh, but be very truthful with where you're at. First with yourself. What do you want? What do you need? Do you want just casual encounters? Do you want just friendship? Do you want a long-term relationship? What are you really looking for That's and seeking for? That's a good for? point. And then, you know, pr- uh, project is in the right word. Um, exemplify yourself. Bring yourself in into the world from that place, from your truth, what it is you want. Because mm. that clarity mm. will help you attract the quote-unquote uh, right partner or an, a greater alignment in partnership. Oh, that was so good. Okay. I'm trying to see if any of the others are, would be like a quick little, uh, this one I think would be, we'll just do one more. Okay. It's hard. Okay. Uh, just, this is the last one I promise, but I think a lot of people can relate to this one. Mm. At Allison Blythe Kim, KM asks, how can you evaluate trying again with someone from your past? It's like, and again, this one's a, probably even the biggest can of worms, but yeah. I've experienced it pretty much everyone I know. Um, yeah, it's like yeah. if this person's coming back around, I know for me in that nearly 20-year dance, that was what happened a number mm. of times. He came back around seem, sounding different than ever before. Yeah. Is this the time that it's really going to be different? And yeah. like those threads can be enticing. So how can you evaluate if it's worth it or not? not getting back with someone from the past two key things to consider the first is have they genuinely transmuted changed, shifted and and you have got to be discerning and the way that you're going to be discerning and the way that you're going to know if they have is by doing your own inner work by Mm. getting clear on who you are by knowing yourself in deeper ways by clearing the clutter of your past by dealing with your own trauma so you can have a clear vision of what's in front of you right that's number one is have they genuinely genuinely changed And the second part to that is, is there too much water under the bridge? In other words, have you maybe forgiven? Maybe you've fully forgiven, but have you forgotten? Has it left your nervous system? Mm. Like, can you, can, are you repaired within yourself? Have you let go of all the things that have transpired within the relationship? And, And if they come up again, which they inevitably will, because there's a familiarity there, can you both repair and are you willing to repair? That's probably the third thing. Are you able and willing to repair if you do come back together? Mm-hmm. So those three points in, in consideration 
of uh, going back to old lovers, old flames, old partners. And I've seen it work as well. Hmm. I've seen it work where, where, where people have genuinely changed. They're willing to be with each other. They're not with each other because it's comfortable. They're actually with each other because there was something of depth and substance there and there was a schism there as well. They had to go and do their own inner work and they've come back. It's rare. It's not as common. Usually when relationships end, two things, I'll say this. Most relationships end prematurely because people are unwilling to do their work and so they, they miss the richness of the, 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 the fruits of that relationship. And most relationships that end, um, they're sort of meant to end in that capacity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the season they were in. Yes. Ah, uh-huh. oh, that was good. This is fun. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> talk to you for days on all of this stuff. Okay, so what a beautiful voyage we just took. And um, I will invite you to take us wherever you want to guide us for the closing ceremony practice. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've spoken a fair amount about, you know, our inner child and, and what we experienced during our formative years. So let's maybe look at some of those needs. So if we just all close our eyes down. Begin to breathe slowly and softly into the body. And with every breath, just deepening the breath just a little bit. So maybe beginning at the sternum, then halfway in between the sternum and the navel. Then inhaling into the navel. And with every exhale as well, just softening the body into the space that you're body is making contact with and occupying and then with every exhale as well just letting the day go just creating a little more spaciousness a little more safety exhaling what no longer serves and maybe now inhaling a little deeper below the navel just paying attention to what's happening in your body just slowing down slowing down your thoughts your mind your feelings, your breath. Imagine yourself now in an open plain. In a distance there are vast, vast mountains. Below you you can see green, rich forest. This open field that you're on. There is a cool breeze and there's the warmth of the sun that is making contact with your face, bare feet on the grass, feeling the earth below your feet. To the left of you, there is a large oak tree, one of the biggest that you've ever seen. It's calling you. And you go towards it, and you sit, and you lean up against this tree. You feel that it has you. You feel safe, you feel connected. You feel grounded, providing you shade, sustenance, structure and stability. Close your eyes. Still, with your eyelids closed, you can see the vastness of the mountain range ahead of you. You can smell the the dew and the richness of the forest below you. All of a sudden you feel the presence of someone. You open your eyes and there is a younger version of yourself there sitting just across from you. 
and just determine what age that is. It could be five years old, nine years old, 12 years old, three years old. Determine that age and just observe them. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they distant? Are they joyful? Are they still? Are they moving around? Just be in observation, not judgment, just observation. And as you're connecting to this younger version of yourself, there's a reason why this version has come into your space, into your life right here and right now. They have unmet needs. They are here to have those needs met by you. Just gauge, just observe. How do you feel about that? Are you retracted? Does it feel overwhelming? Does it feel too much? Does it feel too big? Does it feel exciting, enticing? Do you feel you're up to the challenge or do you feel you can embody this role where you can almost reparent yourself? So ask that little one, what did you need that you didn't get? What did you need that you did not receive? And allow that little version of you, that younger version of you to speak to you, to speak directly to you, to your heart. Let them be in truth. Trust this process. Trust what you are hearing. Trust what you are seeing. Just allow them to express. Allow them to feel to feel what was maybe unfelt, to express what has been unexpressed, to speak to what was unspoken to. Reassure them that you are a safe space. This whole adult, greater version of you is a safe space for them to be, to feel, to express. Observe what's happening in their being, in their body, as they express to you. And can you reassure them that you can have those needs met, that you can meet their needs, this part of you that has felt obsolete, that has felt distant, that has felt disconnected? Can you be more attentive to this part of you? Reintegrate this back into your being so that you may be more in love with life, more intimate with life, more connected to life, more graceful with life, more open to life. This part of you and all the other younger parts of you hold keys to your expansion, to your evolution. Let that wisdom sink in. Reassure that younger part of you who you are. Reassure them who they are. Reassure them that you have them, you've got them. Maybe growing up you just didn't have anyone you could really, really rely on or it couldn't be trusted. Let them know that you are trustworthy. They may not believe you, and that's okay. Can you just hold in non-judgment, in compassion? Can you be safe? Can you be consistent? Perhaps consistency was not something that you experienced growing up. Can you be that for yourself now? Let this younger version know that you will check in with them every day. That you are here for them, with them. That you're in this together. That all he or she needs to do is just let you know, hey, I'm here, I need you. Trust that inner voice. Trust that guidance. 
Now you're both leaning next to each other against this oak tree and you both close your eyes. Begin now to just imagine yourself dissipating, moving away from this oak tree, from this space, from this open field, coming back into the space that your body occupies with a newfound awareness. And we'll just take five big sharp breaths to lock our body into this space through the nose, just like this. Hold for the last one. Hold, keep holding. In a moment, I'll ask you to let it out through your mouth with a sigh and release. <sighs> Gently begin to roll your ankles, move your fingers. Slowly open your eyes, come back to the space. All of you is welcome. Oh, that was so good. Wow, yeah, my goodness. So interesting. I went to this time where I think I was more like middle school. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I, you know, had, had already been an intense distance runner from starting at two and a half years old. Hmm. And yet at this time in middle school and God bless myself, I had braces and bangs and like, mm -hmm. you know, my face was really full. And it, it was at this age where I like, shot up like a, like a bean. And I went from being, you know, like a scrawny pre-adolescent to like, you know, like getting a more mature, mm -hmm. like more womanly body. And I remember I grew like, like six inches in a matter wow. of like, um, yeah, just like a couple of months or something. Whoa. And for the runner in me and that identity, and I mean, I was r racing at the highest capacities. I was already a national champion you know, athlete by this age, um, I think at least twice. And so there was a lot of pressure and a lot of identity wow. entrenched in this runner alley. And yet I was like, had this whole like foreign body. And I remember I used to, um, just be in so much pain, like from my joints and bones, just from everything growing so rapidly. And, um, so it was nice to go to her because like, it just wasn't really discussed. It was just like always the pressure to like win and be the best. And no matter what, no matter that you're this whole different person in this whole different body, figure it out, sort it out. There wasn't really like tended to other than the injuries or pains that would come from this growth spurt, those being tended to so I could get back on the track or back on the road. So I was just like talking to her and reminding her that like, um, just going straight to the heart of it of like, if your body doesn't have the capacity to race anymore, or you don't want to, there's so many other things mm. that you can explore and so many other yes. things you're going to be great at. And like, it was right at the exact point when you were guiding us into like the, the, the new worlds opening up. I don't know where I was tracking and the mm. journey was right where you were guiding it verbally. And then it took me, I'm leaving some stuff out to just shorten it down, but it eventually tracked back to where I, where I am in this moment in my life in like for the first time ever at this age, like, mm. you know, in a place of wanting to conceive and just noticing my, my body now is mm. at a place where a lot is just changing. That's interesting. It's very interesting. Wow. I know because like, 
just the 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 fullness mm-hmm. and the thickness and the just the form that my physical body is at right now is very feels very foreign and very different than ever before and for the most part i am loving her and i say kind things to her and i'm embracing it and there's slivers at times of like oh my gosh can i really wear a bathing suit to that party today or you know, just like different yeah. awarenesses or thoughts that come up with it in this new journey of this whole new world opening up. So yeah, I'm going to continue to kind of unpack that or sit with that a little yeah. bit more because there were some very interesting large components that came in in that brief journey. If, if I may yeah. offer something. Sure. I, I think that's a very serendipitous vision that you had given where you're at now and the healing that you're doing around that with that teenage girl that just came to you. I think may create some openness mm. and or an opening in the space that you occupy now. Yeah, that was fun and exciting. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. That Thank was you. a really hearty, brief journey you facilitated. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so where can folks most, best, easiest connect with you, find you? Uh, any of my social media channels. Instagram is where I'm probably most active. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, at Stephanos Safandos, or my website, stephanosafandos.com. Cool. Yeah. And if you are worried about figuring out what the spelling of that name is, <laughs> I will, you know, every Tuesday when a new episode comes out, it's always featured on my Instagram and also in the show notes. Mm. We'll put his links to everything that he just mentioned in in both places so you can easily find him. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alison. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, but so much we didn't get to. You created a pool of things to marinate on that I feel will, um, you know, for the soul fam who joined us, that will just kind of waves that will continue to inform or work in Mm. to folks. So, yeah, thank you for the space you created and your honest, vulnerable shares today. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. All right, Soul Fam, we appreciate you as well. Thank you for co-creating and weaving with us, and we will sit with you again next time. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Alison Charles, so it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show, and I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, if you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to the show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal, and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.